Hello, welcome back to uh, Allies of Convenience, the international competitive Warhammer 40,000 podcast. I'm your host, Logan, and uh, we are going to be speaking to you today uh, as part of our extended coverage of the very recent London GT, um, which happened this past weekend at the London Stadium. Uh, in London, of course, uh, and we are speaking right now exclusively to uh, Mr. Zach Becker, who is the uh, chief TO, figurehead, owner. What? How do you describe yourself of of the uh, the organisation, sir? I uh, it's a funny one. I, I used to obviously be the. I would describe myself as the TO of the London 40k GT, but as we grew and became more of a holistic wargaming events I sort of transitioned into what I would describe as the convention organiser and you know sort mm-hmm. of TO responsibilities would be passed on to either other parties or uh, in the case of 40k to my sort of second in command James O'Brien mm-hmm. so now I, I would say I'm, I'm the convention organiser So let's talk a little bit about that because obviously the the journey from being one of the biggest 40k events in the UK uh, that you ran successfully last year, uh, upscaling massively to uh, what you describe as a as a convention, I guess, kind of moving towards that uh, American format, which works so well for them over there um, for a multi-game event across, was it three days of gaming, I think, in the end? Yeah, it was, it was two and a half. Okay. Um, so what made you want to you know really shoot for the stars there and and, and go for that yeah uh, i mean at the end of last year we, you know we we ran you know a great 40k event we had we had a 30k narrative event that also went very well and uh you know people were obviously you know, really enthusiastic about it because um you know we got great feedback uh you know a few constructive criticisms and and we're all set to basically repeat and and grow a little bit you know maybe add 50 or 100 people to the event and um, pretty much about two or three months afterwards, I you know, had the pleasure of going to Nova. Mm. Um, and I, I just found that experience, my first American convention, I found it really inspiring. Um, it was almost like somebody had set a bar and said, like, this is what a, a wargaming, you know, tabletop wargaming event should be. This is what, this is what can be achieved. Mm. And, you know, the, the our answer to it is, 200 guys in a sports hall and I, I, I just felt that that was um, no one was taking no one, no one was taking a step to, to even try to be as good as as the Depp over let alone actually doing it there was there wasn't even anyone attempting it mm. um, so I basically um, you know being a competitive gamer I'm also just generally a, an ambitious guy so I thought well if, if they can do it why can't we um, and with that came a sort of search for a new bigger venue. Um, with bigger venues comes obviously you know more game systems to fill it up, and then if you're going to have more game systems, you need to find different uh, sort of non-gaming activities which can tie the different game systems together, so they feel like they're playing um, in one big event rather than just doing a tournament, standing next to somebody else doing a separate tournament. So it kind of grew organically from. Um, my experiences as an attendee of a convention, um, combined with my experience running 40k grand tour, um, and that's sort of how it, it wasn't a deliberate move. It was more of a, a change in, in perspective in terms of thinking. You know, is this all we can do? What, you know, why can't why can't we have an event like that? Mm. 
which I think is an admirable sort of line to take. Um, like you said, why can't we do it here? Um, we've arguably got a bigger player base, bigger consumer base uh, in this country anyway. So, yeah, I mean, we have, obviously we've got um, Warhammer Fest, as it's called now, the old games day in Golden Demon, um, which has moved to Coventry, I think now, right? Bounced all over the yeah, Midlands, but yeah. Yeah, but in terms of independent events, we've got, um, what's the one in London that they have? We've got Salute, we've got UK That's Games Expo, yeah. but you know, from from my perspective, we're not comparable with those. These guys are, are many, many times bigger, but mm. they're ultimately they're trade shows. Yes. So they're, they're for consumers, they're not there for gamers. You know, we're an event that's, that's, that's by gamers, for gamers, to, to, to take Adepticons uh, tag along. Um, I've said many, many times on, you know, on this podcast as well as in many other places, yeah. I set up the, the London GT because I, I wanted a, a tournament to attend in London. Um, set it purely up, purely, literally it was set up because as a consumer, I wanted some, I wanted it to exist. Um, and it didn't. And no one else was going to do it, so I did. Um, that's how we, you know, how we came about, and that's still the only thing that really drives us. So obviously traveled um, to one of those large American events, took it all in and saw that those events obviously have been around for a very long time. Um, well, LVO, slightly newer, but that is a, a reinvention of something that, that kind of came before it. But a lot of these events have slowly built o- over the years. Um, but I guess, you know, he who dares wins, I, to, to quote uh, Only Fools and Horses. Um and the SAS it's a, definitely an admirable um, target to have that you know wh- why can we not provide events of a comparable level and calibre to the ones that seem to be happening several times a year uh, uh, across North America what are some of the biggest hurdles that you faced trying to put together this event um, I think I think there's quite a few and I, and I think they kind of tie together with a lot of the, the critiques that we've been receiving mm. um, and, and they're completely legitimate and they're, they're all kind of linked back to um, the core business case that sort of sits behind um, running a successful project um, ult- ultimately space in America is cheaper they have, they have their bigger facilities so not only are, are their costs lower uh, and, and their facilities more appropriate for, for the type of show they've been on but they're also their the revenues are greater. They have much much higher ticket prices than we do over here. Mm. We're working on a, on a more comfortable profit margin, or not even profit margin, but but just you know the core core margin over over their their big revenue against costs. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, it, it's much more healthy than ours are, um, and that's that's a, that's a big hurdle to get over, and and that ties into things like being able to hire people to just do different bits and bobs. So, you know, for example, one of the critiques we've had for, say, um, logistics. So moving in and out of the venue, setting up tables and rolling out maps and that sort of thing. Now, yeah, we can hire a company to, to, to do that for us, um, but that, that's an additional cost. And when you really look at, at all the small costs and how they add on to the big cost, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You, you lose money. If you're losing money consistently, then you've got to either be independently wealthy um, or stupid. Otherwise, you, you'd never run, keep running these events. And 
you know, the LGT has, has grown rapidly, as you say, but two out of the three years we've run, this year included, we've, we've lost money. And the only reason it's been able to be self-sustaining is, fortunately enough, I have a good job and, and I'm able to su- sustain, you know, some losses one year in order to next year that we, we can make scrape back some profit on the next year's of growth because every year we grow we've got to invest in maps we've got to invest in new av equipment we've got to hire more vans than we did before we hire storage all the things that you don't see as a customer but have cost uh are just a lot of things that you kind of assume as standard and almost take for granted if they're not there you know um, you definitely, definitely see that. Uh, the job of the TO is definitely a thankless task, and there's not a lot of you um, operating regularly uh, within this country uh, as it stands. <clears throat> the London GT definitely grew very quickly. Um, you say that you operated at a loss um, for some of the previous events. What made you want to extend so greatly? You know, when there's there's so much risk and so much extra expectation from a, a player base that, as you said, is not really looking to invest a great amount in sort of attendance fees, ticket fees compared to other places, not really spending as much money at the events in general. Like, surely you'd have to be a little bit crazy to try and, you know, expand on that scope. What you know is it literally just uh, a challenge that you wanted to take on, having seen the the quality of the experience that you get in America? Yeah, in, in some part it was. Um, in some part it was probably poor decision making on my part. Hmm. So to, to to put this year's um, scale in, in perspective in terms of how how we grew. Yeah, I'd really like to know like the numbers, the difference in disparity in the numbers between you know yeah, yeah. and the logistics of it because. Th- Speaking about other TOs, because there's so few of you, there's there's not many people that will even have an insight. You know, you had around about 700 people attend. I'm sure, you know, there's literally a handful of those would even have any sort of comprehension of what goes into putting together an event. So any insight you can give us into that would be great. Yeah. So the original plan for, for this year was just to take the, if anyone that attended, um, or, or uh, didn't, but has looked on the website, was to take just the two first and, and uh, second floor rooms, which we each can fit about 200 people in. Mm. So we figured, you know, doubling size each year has always been our goal. Um, we went from 200 last year to 400 this year. And that will be some organic growth from the 40k GT and, and narrative events getting bigger. And we were going to add an Asia Sigma event. And we figured that would be, you know, nice, comfortable, and people go. We sold all those tickets in six days, and everyone was emailing us consistently. You know, I think I got 20 days the second I took tickets off sale, uh, 20 emails the second I took tickets off sale, saying, you know, is it sold out? Can I come? Can I come? Can I come? Mm. Can I come? Um, so I'm thinking, all right, there's clearly demand here, and you know, I look at, at the facility, it's got these extra rooms in there, so I get in touch with the venue, and I'm like, okay, you know, what are our options there? You know, can we can we take an extra room? And that happened twice. So if anyone's followed us on social media, they'll know that basically tickets went on sale and then tickets they went off sale and then they came back on again. And that's you know happened twice because two times we ended up hiring extra rooms. And you know perhaps the prudent decision would have been you know not to do that and, and to um, take them one sort of baby step forward rather than one giant leap forward. Um, 
so it was kind of driven by um what I perceived as being as being you know very strong consumer demand for the event mm. um, in combination with as you say you know uh, the challenge of, of replicating what's been so successful in America um, there's probably a little bit of personal ego involved like I'm I'm, I'm friends with Mike uh, from Nova as, as well as Reese from Frontline so you know to to, to keep up with your buddies is always uh, you know an inspiring goal so um, there was obviously a part of that probably involved in my decision making as well. Um, so it was probably the, the, those two things. I wanted to satisfy uh, the community in terms of their demand, and I wanted to to uh, you know, catch up with my buddies. Mm. Um, so in terms of actually putting the event together, what? So you mentioned um, upscaling, obviously, and going up to, I think you said double, doubling is the aim every year. Going up to 400 intrinsically means that you're going to have to have 200 tables worth of competitive standard, you know, gaming tackle. Uh, so you had the mats there, which are awesome. Um, they're great to play on uh, and they were welcome, definitely a welcome addition. Uh, and obviously the, the sets of terrain for each board. Now we'll talk about the terrain because that was a very big talking point and we'll get onto that in a little bit. But just in terms of finding the venue, first of all, um, going from, like you said, a sports hall to what is one of the premium venues in the whole of London if not the country in the the you know former Olympic Stadium you've moved in there I can imagine that such venues come at a bit of a premium um, for starters uh, obviously you don't really get a lot of opportunity to do sort of dry fits and working out in terms of spacing I know there are issues uh, on the first day with regards to tables uh, and, and walkways there was a lot of criticism there in terms of the space that was available do you feel that the, the a lot of the venues that we have in London are just not really conducive to these tabletop wargaming events just because of the space that you require for the number of people that will attend against the revenue that you can bring in because it kind of looks like you're on a hiding to nothing yeah I mean, I- it, that's exactly the case. It's everyone always says, you know, why are you running the stadium? Why don't you run in a hotel like like they do at the Depton or whatever? There's no hotels, <laughs> even in yeah, the rest no, of the I, country that are that size. You know, that have those enormous ballrooms, right? They're just a they're not a thing that we have in in Europe in general. No, no, not not, not at all. And you know, largest in London, the Royal Ballroom, uh, a ballroom um, out near the O2, and you know if you set out your tables you know in rows of fours which is our sort of standard layout um four foot between the tables you can get in in the oral ballroom like i think 350 people or 400 people mm. um that's great you know that's that's a big event yeah but it's like 11 a ground ground a day plus that plus jesus jesus so you're immediately having a loss now the olympic stadium is a prestigious place but actually when the way I work it out when I'm appraising events is on square meters and, and we have a certain square meters that we map up against our budgets for players um, and it all looked good it was all great you know, we had these good rooms that, that actually looked like they were on budget um, and we went through negotiations and did space planning and it looked okay um, the problem is of course is you don't really get to know a building until you're in it for an extended period of time um, and particularly in, in the ground floor room, we had the big 40K hall where we had about 150 tables. 
there were columns all over the place that weren't on the on the on the, the floor plans that they gave us to do space planning with. There were fire escapes that were unmarked that we had to leave clear. So we ended up losing, I think it was probably uh, what was it, eighteen tables. So enough space for thirty six players. So ten percent of that room and a bit more. Um, we had to lose. So the so the room became congested. And, and as anyone that was there knows, game one was not a pleasant place to be. It was it was mm. too crowded. There was no space. Um, but we don't ignore these things. Like this is uh, one of the things I've been quite confused about because anyone that's there. Um, saw us break down uh, 18 tables during during lunchtime on day one. We moved them upstairs. We got approval from the facility to, to move um, a significant number of tables to another room. Um, and obviously, we can't rejig the entire room over, over a lunch period because there's still people hanging around. There's army everywhere. But we created space immediately. We were identified that as a problem. Mm. And then that night, we completely rejigged every single table so that there was, there was no more space. So I think there's this sort of perception going around that we wanted it to be overcrowded which is which is just bonkers why would i why would i want to um you know have have our attendees feel uncomfortable and hopefully those that, that were there to testify to the fact that you know as soon as we knew there was a problem we tried to address it as best we could um and ultimately like we're never if you want the event to be in london if, if, if that's what the consumers want if that's what our attendees want um, we're always going to suffer from compromised venues just from purely on, on the economics of it. So, obvious counterpoint to that is, well, why are you still in London? If you want to grow, then why not move elsewhere? But that's probably a discussion for, or a topic for the end of this discussion in order to talk about you know, what the future might hold for the LGBT. You've been pretty clear with what your vision was, which was for uh, a multi-game convention themed around competitive gaming celebrating competitive gaming um still within london that's your main name because obviously that's that's the brand name so you're kind of tied there um but expanding greatly uh, and you've gone into this venue this venue which you don't have access to in advance which is always a, a like a, a a warning sign for for me as a event organizer myself in other realms um, and as you said, there were things that happened, uh, stuff that wasn't in the plan, in the four floor plan and what have you. And of course, you've got to accommodate for, um, what's the term? Men that are built for wargaming as well. I think that's mm -hmm. the term uh, as well. Shout out, to, shout out to my friend Leo. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, overall, the space wasn't there, um, even though you obviously greatly upscaled uh, you you did your best to accommodate uh, on the day, and I think you know the general feedback was that things got better as the days went on. I think the first day, the first day there was a, a huge amount of negativity, and I wasn't there on the first day, but I did see a lot of the negativity online from it. Um, one of the things that a lot of people mentioned was the time at which it took to get into the first game and there's a number of issues there that I want to talk about with you um, one of which is definitely not your fault at all which is the time it took to get everyone in the building in the first place now obviously 700 men walking into one of the most famous stadiums in London with big cases that are designed to look like military gear are going to have to be searched um, and I know for a lot of people that took a very long time getting in 
do you feel like the venue didn't provide enough staff uh, to deal with that demand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, one of the, the criticisms that some people have been making is all the communication with the venue has been poor. Um, mm. You know, why weren't the venue prepared? From, from our side of things, the venue have all our details on timing, all our details on our attendee numbers, all our details on our activities. So way in advance of the event actually happening because obviously we, we have to negotiate the cost of, of third-party security as part mm. of our contract. You know, we're telling them, you know, we're going to have 750 people turn up in this hour's long slot, you know, and they're going to have bags. So you need to tell us how many security guards you need and then we negotiate on the, on the cost of the security guards. Mm. Now, it's, it's their job to keep us happy because they obviously want us to rebook. So we're hardly going to be happy if an hour in I give them a call and I say we're behind schedule because of you. Um, so they should be motivated to do that. But throughout the whole weekend, we had problems with the venue basically not communicating well with um, their contractors. You know, we have miscommunication about food and beverage. There was obviously long delays in the, in the line of security. There were some people being let in early, but not others, which was absolutely bonkers. I turned around at one point about an hour and a half before doors opened and there was a random attendee there who said he was let in. Mm. Um, but this, you know, this is a, a genuine, you know, criticism from, you know, obviously our attendees towards me, which I completely accept. You know, it's my, my job to manage the venue, but um, it's definitely what I'm passing on a critique back to the venue as well, because you know, we pay a lot of money for them to, to staff security well and, and, and they just didn't throughout the whole weekend. I mean, honestly, it got a lot better on Sunday when we cut, you know, we cut down, I think, uh, to 45 minutes to everyone in. Um, but even then, you know, they had the agenda for, for Sunday too and they knew it was 30-minute key time. So mm. um, I'm obviously uh, not happy myself, um, albeit I, I do take full responsibility in terms of, you know, keeping people waiting outside with, uh, you know, not what they expected. Um is it a big wake-up call for you in that now you realise that you probably need to go above and beyond what you thought you may have had to do in terms of, like, organising an event of this scale? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it, it's important. Like, fundamentally, I completely agree with, with, with the, the, the comments that, you know, we need to be hiring a, a full team. Um I almost killed myself the last couple of days. Um, there's absolutely no way I can run this event ever again if I don't have a full team behind me and, and the volunteer crew we've got, while amazing, it, it, it's not enough. You know, LVO runs on an 80-man crew. I think this weekend we ran an average probably of 12. Mm. Um, and we're only in 50% of size. So, you know, I, I'm the first to admit that you know, that is not ideal. At one point in time, I found myself underneath a table searching around for a, a mat bag and uh, had a, this epiphany of this is not what a convention organizer should be doing if he's running a successful event. So, you know, we're fully, fully on board with um, staffing up next year. But it links back into what, what we were talking about earlier about, about the business case. It's like we need to be factoring in those costs at the initial appraisal every year of, you know, what can we afford to do based on, you know, our ticket prices being relatively fixed um, and our, our, you know, our significant costs in terms of venue. Um, and previously, uh, the staffing cost wasn't one of my must-have absolutes that I put into the, uh, you know, the initial appraisal when assessing a venue um, or assessing numbers of attendees as our target. 
it was a okay we've got a thousand pounds left over before we start losing money let's hire some people for this stuff for this stuff um and that was a mistake you know i'm not a full-time events professional this isn't um what i do for a living you know i work in consulting it's uh something i do out of passion and i have one opportunity every year to learn from my mistakes and um this year there was certainly a lot of those so hopefully next year uh, we won't repeat those um, granted there will every year there'll be things that we get wrong but my goal is always not to make the same mistake twice are you tied into doing one big event once a year or are you looking at different models possibly i've always been considering different models um mm. particularly in relation to 40k because i think there's huge pent-up demand for you know you know large multiple times a year events uh, around the country and in, in variations in the format you make know, massive teams event one and then six months later massive singles event and then some variation on the quarterly in between but um in my personal circumstances i, I work abroad um, i come home for two months every two days every month and mm. you know took a month off work to come back to run it this, this, this time um so practically speaking it's, it's it's just not possible for me to to come back for a month at a time every quarter to run to run a bunch of events Especially um, uh, ones that are uh, losing money as well, you know. Especially yeah, you have exactly. to factor I mean, in, you have to factor in that month that you're not working. Also, I guess. Um, I think when you look at most of the successful TOs within wargaming uh, operating at the moment within the UK, most of them run moderate scale events several times a year. Um, you look at uh, Tim King's a great example. Cali obviously run several events. Um, under that banner and others uh, Northern Warlords as well run a couple like you said in different formats you know trios teams what have you uh, and single events as well I think looking at it like you possibly have been the the lab rat I guess that tried to make something grand work and may have been the the market test that's proven that maybe in London at least, it might not be viable currently with the, the, the locations that we have and the venues that we have to, to do something like this that isn't a, you know, a heavily funded trade show that's selling space to, to vendors uh, and recouping costs that way uh, rather than relying on the sort of end user, the, the gamer to come in and, uh, and, and cover this cost. I mean, what were you charged? Was it about £50 a ticket, I think? Yeah, the majority of the events were 40 quid for the ticket and 10 yeah. for the active part. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you're still looking you know, at a considerable take, but when people factor in the costs and obviously the rising costs to, to meet the acceptable standards that people want from an event like this, it might be something that you, you maybe have to look at and learn from your experience and, and scale back, um, which would be unfortunate. But it, that, that's the reality of the marketplaces, I'm sure you know, as a businessman. Uh, one of the things I'm quite interested in as well, um, the end user, like the player. If a player goes to a big convention like this, or they go to you know something that's held at Element Games or... Uh, Firestorm or any of those 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 venues that exist for gaming, their end user experience is generally going to be pretty similar. They're going to spend the majority of their time standing at a six by four table interacting with someone else 
and then going to and from the brackets, maybe going and buying a beer. So their actual experience is not particularly changed positively being in these bigger venues, these more grandiose venues, um, being at these big conventions. And as you said, you made an interesting point regarding making people feel like they're all playing at the same event, you know, or not just standing next to someone on another table who happens to have slightly different small plastic men that they're moving around with slightly different rules, um, but are basically operating completely separately from them and there's, you know, never the twain shall meet. You might kind of have to accept that that is the case, I think, uh, in, in some instances. And yes, there is sort of that camaraderie and we are all war gamers and some people do play multiple titles, but just to make this experience viable, it might be something that we have to accept that because we don't have these spaces here, we might have to split things up and run run things separately just so that, you know, TOs like yourself can continue doing events like this. Yeah, uh, you know, if that if that ends up being the reality of the situation, then uh, then it is what it is. Um, we're going through you know full appraisal of, of what what we're doing uh, at the moment. You know, starting off right now with a review of all the feedback we've got over the weekend and, and on, on on the social medias. You know, next stage is obviously gathering feedback from attendees via survey, and then it will be you know filtering that all into our, our two year plan sort of thing. Mm. Um, Ultimately, it comes down to incentives. So it's like you got to think, okay, why am I doing this? You know, what is my, what do I want to get out of this as a person? Um, for me, I'm a passionate 40k player. I love competitive 40k, um, but I also enjoy watching other people play it. You know, if, if somebody comes up to me and they say, you know what, I just had an incredibly hard game, I say, oh, you know, how did it go? And they say, oh, I lost just, but they had an amazing time, and I get a real buzz from seeing them do that. And, mm-hmm. and the same sort of vibe happens across all the systems. Um, you know, the LGT is, is is not the 40K event. The LGT is, is, is the mechanism by which a lot of different events are enabled. And I think that's the important thing to realize is the critiques we've been receiving seem like they're, they're generic. They're like they're the targeting event in a wholesale, which is, which is just unfair because the uh, 40K event obviously had its, its very specific problems. Obviously, we talked about terrain later on, but... You know, the LGT as an event also had its specific problems, but the two things that are distinct. Um, I, see, I saw online somebody saying, oh, yeah, the Age of Sigmar event had the same problems as the 40 game one did. That's absolutely rubbish, you know. The Age of Sigmar event had you know, 50% games workshop terrain, everything was painted, each, each bank of tables was themed to a realm. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the case with the 40 GT. Um So it's important to realize that what we're doing here is different to just going to a GT um, and, and there needs to be some, some empathy for that um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one to, to, to sort of put into words because particularly at, at, at times when you haven't had much sleep for a long period of time it's, it's very easy to sort of lose, lose lose sight of the forest of the trees think why am i doing that <laughs> i think definitely what we made a really insightful point there about you know i'm not just a passionate gamer but i also enjoy seeing people enjoying gaming and having you know the you know close games great exciting competitive games close games you know feel it just feeling really positive about their gaming experience which must mean then conversely when you're seeing so many people 
sort of chiming in negatively on a gaming experience. Now, admittedly, the the way that the internet works, I'm sure, you know, over half the people posting and commenting probably weren't even there in, in the first place. But <clears throat> when you're seeing a lot of people saying that they're having a, a, a negative experience, that definitely is going to be something that, that must affect you as well. And I definitely saw a number of people say that you looked like you were carrying a big heavy weight on that, you know, first and second day. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, quite a large amount of the critique has been uh, based or focused on me personally, which, um, you know, the buck stops for me. It's, it's, you know, ultimately my endeavour. Um, then people saying, oh, you know, you should be embarrassed. But I am embarrassed, you know. What, for the 40K event specifically, you know, we didn't, we didn't do as well as we wanted to and uh, I'm a type of guy that you know tries to do his best at everything he can mm. um, and you know at the moment I'm I'm not pleased with myself um, and I'm not pleased with what we were able to provide for, for ultimately my peers because I'm not a TO that never plays games you know I'm a gamer mm. um, and, and I want to provide an experience that I would be happy with myself but I think one of the major things that we've stumbled on this year is because we've got up to or this year we got up to such a scale um, under one event that actually people's what, what people wanted out of the event was very different so you've got 440 players and you've got some comments saying oh the terrain's awful blah 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 and then somebody else comments and say well actually it's the only functional 8th edition table I've ever played on in the last year um, you know most most places playing on you know out of date 5th or 6th or 4th or edition terrain not appropriate for the way the current game works and other people are saying oh, I look crap and other people are saying oh but it played well yeah it did look crap but that doesn't bother me mm. if we have a big event those two people those two types of, of perspectives are aggregated together so something we're mulling over at the moment is maybe actually we don't go for a thousand person GP as our grand ambition maybe we say maybe we need to run an open event that is a competitive event but more geared towards the narrative end in terms of quality than the competitive end in terms of event pack and then run a separate more competitive event for people that I say actually you know what I want the perfect balance board you know I want this I want that that doesn't necessarily hinge on aesthetic because you know people might say oh you know I had a boring time I played on the same terrain for five games in a row you know for me that's boring somebody yeah. else might say it was amazing you know I never had to worry about getting a board where my army doesn't work um, and those perspectives are, are both completely legitimate. So my question for myself is whether or not we should be running one event for, for both you know, groups of people. Let's talk about some of that criticism um, and, and go through some of it. Uh, I know because I know you definitely wanted to sort of speak direct. It's the main main reason that you wanted to speak to us on the, as a podcast in general to, to to get your voice out there directly to. Uh, the community so <clears throat> we will get onto the terrain but um, in terms of people's issues I know one of the f main things that they had got, aside from the space aside from getting in was the uh, communication in terms of where they're meant to be playing um, you had mo you had a multi-level venue um, with not a great deal of uh, information as to where tables would be uh how people you know where where they would meant to be going and of course 
when you're having to effectively pack away your entire army, go up to flights of escalators or a flight of stairs or what have you, uh, and then go and get it set up, that obviously can be a, a strain in a in a game which, as we all know, definitely suffers from time constraints anyway. Um, how would you respond to that? Uh, I'd say, yeah, completely legitimate. It's not something we're, we're aiming to replicate ever again. Um, we, you know, realised this was a problem. Day two, we had much more signage in terms of what tables were where. It, the problem was exacerbated as well, as I said earlier, you know, by the fact that we moved a bunch of tables after game one to create more space. Um, but ultimately, it's, uh, it's a fair criticism. The venue wasn't wasn't suitable for an event of that scale. What we should have done in hindsight is cap the 40k event to the single large room, which would have been like a 300 man event, um, and and then we could have had it done much more simply. Um, yeah, I mean, this is something that I hold my hands up to entirely. Got to make mistakes to learn from one. Um, and and uh, we can move on uh, from there. The main problem for me uh, was a comms issue. It was the fact that the venue didn't have a universal PA system. I couldn't say to one person or you know have, have an MC say these are the announcements, make time, etc., etc. Is that also something that could maybe be solved again with uh, with more staff um, to allow you to be able to you know have better signage better methods of communication better information uh, updates out there as well yeah I think it's it's, it's more a it's a structural issue you know in regards to you know, venue layout as, mm-hmm. as I just mentioned, but also a technical um, issue more than a staffing one it's in terms of like you know, getting the message out there via the appropriate technologies um, we had we had event staff in, in every room we had group chats so that we could say right okay do 50 minute announcements, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, the problem is, is if I want to go check that that's been done, I have to run up four or five flights of stairs and down again. Um, and that's just, you know, it's just not an effective way of doing things. Um, so it just reinforces the point again that, you know, like definitely big lesson learned this year is single, single rooms, everything. Um, particularly like in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, refing. One of the main concerns we had, uh, we had Christmas and Trevor was, oh, yeah, we got enough ref. Mm. Um, personally, I, I think we did. You know, we, we even added extra ref as well on day two. Um, but it was quite hard to find one because one of the rooms was sort of curved and, and had some columns. So you could be looking right at a ref that 10 meters away, but there could be a column in between. Um, and so of course, you're, you're, you're basically having walked in, you, it, it it kind of looked insane because there was tables every possible available conceivable place you could put a table there were tables there um which means everything is kind of really cluttered so there's no obvious sort of information points in the middle of the room it's very difficult to have that when you're so space dependent it, it kind of just feels like the venue wasn't really conducive to the event to me yeah I, w- I would agree with that I think um, had we stuck with our original plan um, which was to have the you know the two 200 man rooms we could have 40k in one and Edge of Sigma and, and Heresy in the other 
um, and it would have been a much better offence. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of people have, have probably very rightly said you grew too fast too soon. Um, I would probably agree with that. Mm. But in my mind, it's, this year has been a case of two steps forward, one step back. Um, yeah, we've let some people down, but on the flip side of that coin is we're also inundated with people that have not been to events before that are also saying they're a great time. They're just not the vocal ones. They're not the ones on social media shouting about it. Um, and we wouldn't have been able to provide an event for these people uh, if we hadn't taken on more space because they're not the guys mm. that are buying tickets on day one as soon as they go on sale. They're the guys that hear about it three months later um, and pick up a ticket then. Mm. And uh, if we if we keep you know artificially constraining the amount of space we have available much lower than the demand is, then they'll never get tickets because it will always be the same crowd of people that, that know the event, want to come and buy the tickets on day one. Um, and if we stay as a 200-man event, that will continue to happen. I mean, theoretically, the, the higher rate of events means that people can pick and choose when they go, which means you would naturally have a higher turnover of total players across multiple events. But as you pointed out, you know, you're in the country two days of the month. You have to take a considerable amount of time off personally um, to, to make these events happen. So running multiple events isn't something that is easily resolved without expanding the team and delegating some of the uh, some of the responsibility into that. Um, but as, a, as an events organiser myself, I've definitely seen that, you know, people just naturally can't or won't come to every event you do so you will have that opportunity for people to oh, I missed out a ticket this time I'm I'm really going to try and get one next time you know I'm not going to be I've heard about it oh it's sold out but there's another one in two months time okay I'll, I'll make sure I try and pay attention and pick that up then um, so it's not the end of the world if you don't have these huge scale events but yes I, I definitely appreciate and see that your vision is to be more inclusive to the the casual competitive gamer, I guess, uh, rather than that hardcore tournament going. We go to everything, and I'm on the circuit, and you know that that kind of player, which, as you said, are the the day day one, week one purchasers that are going to be be there uh, come rain, wind, or snow. Uh, one of the other criticisms uh, that people had was uh, the price support. Actually, um, the, the price support was very impressive last year. A um, lot of really positive uh, comments on that. Um, this year, it was quite Spartan for a lot of the people that sort of got gaming results, I guess. The raffle looked good, but um, I know a lot of people came away kind of uh, unimpressed by the, the price support there. Can you explain why there was a, a drop in that? Is that literally just another cost thing? Is it a lack of uh, no, support no, no. from... This is um, this is actually a, a bit of a funny one um, in a sort of perverse way. Um, we had a great price support this year. Our, our sponsors and partners have been really good to us. And um, we tried, you know, we got, I think we worked out something about it. 108 or something different awards across the entire convention mm. so we had to you know come up with some sort of method to present all those awards in a timely timely manner so 
uh, semi inspired by by the way they do things uh, at Nova. We did this sort of uh, procession of TOs presenting their award, uh, announcing their awards, um, and then people collecting prizes at the back of the room. Unfortunately, we were expecting that you know, maybe we'd have 100, 150 people attend the award ceremony. So we set out you know, 100 chairs and we'd have 50 standing at the back. And at the back of the room, that's where I would be with the prizes and I'd be able to hand them out as they count. So I had my spreadsheet mm. set up next to me telling me what prizes went to which award. And I had all the prizes sitting next to me so I could hand them to people. Um, yeah, there's about 500 had, people in that room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at one point, so what happened was I was completely surrounded by people to the point where I couldn't understand who was a prize, a prize winner, what they were there for. They were getting to me at the same, uh, in the same order they're being announced, and I couldn't get to my laptop. And at one point, I was being uh, basically abused by a very drunk guy who didn't think he was getting the prize he was meant to be getting. Um, while trying to have to deal with somebody else and there were people in between me and the boxes of prizes so at one point I couldn't even find an entire box of prizes um, so I took part of my hands up to take full responsibility you know, that was a bad process we did not we did not get that right um, the prize support is amazing the problem is it's still sitting in my house um, it's not in the hands of, of all the people that want it so what I'm doing at the moment I've been working on all day <laughs> yeah the, the addresses of all the prize prize winners and trying to work out who hasn't got what and we're shipping it all out to them at our cost. Okay. Um, so that criticism is is perfectly reasonable. The prize support that was delivered was poor. The prize support that will be delivered within the week is very, very good. Splendid. I'm sure uh, a lot of people will be very happy to hear that. So if you are placed at, uh, at the London GT, then make sure you check your emails uh, very, very soon. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you haven't got anything or you think what you got wasn't what you were meant to get or wasn't sufficient, then, then by all means email us because you know, this year particularly, I went to quite you know, great lengths to try to make some cool stuff happen. Um, everything from solid gold paintbrushes to bespoke metal LGT medals. Um, uh, so we've got the stuff. Um, we just weren't able to deliver it in the manner we wanted to. Uh, and then finally, um, I... I have a great segue for this um, because one of the people I saw holding one of the trophies, the resin cast trophies, said, oh, this is better painted than the terrain was. Um, so, yes, let us uh, let us get on to Terrain Gate. Um, terrain Gate. Oh, it's got a name now. It has a, it has a hashtag. I, I know it's memeing. Absolutely. Uh, it, well, it definitely went viral on day one uh, and yeah. did not stop. Clearly, that is another uh, undersight on your part in terms of the amount of work and the time that it would take to complete because, you know, seeing you guys out in the garden a couple of days before the event still spraying and hopefully trying to glue and what have you, obviously it just you just didn't give yourselves enough time to get it done. Um, and I can understand why now that you've kind of broken down what your time restrictions are professionally uh, and of course the size of the team that you're working with but I'm, I'm sure you have uh, something to say on the on the terrain issue yeah for sure I mean I'd like to, to preface um, this part of the discussion with an apology um, obviously anyone that was there um, knows it wasn't up to scratch and, and we are uh, not proud of that you know we are regretful that that's what we ended up with 
Um, that being said, it, it, we, we generally did work our hardest to try to get as close as we could. Um, it just wasn't enough this time, and, and that was partly down to poor planning, as you said. You know, we didn't give ourselves enough time, um, and, and partly down to just just poor processes. Um, I could, I could kind of tell things weren't going to plan when about four days in, I I, I looked at uh, our program of work, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to start working night. Um, mm. So, anyone that's w- watched a series of videos knows that that, that uh, we're progressing in terms of quantum very rapidly, but in terms of stages very slowly. So, you know, one it took you know it takes a day to it took like 20 hours just to cut foam to shape like down to the size rough size mm. it needed to be and it's like another 40 hours to, to, to just cut it through the wire cut giving it some sort of edge um, we almost got that like this is the, this is the main uh, the main thing that people I think we didn't we didn't communicate well which was we had an entire day um, where we were rained off and then we had our first day of painting where we're spraying with an air gun you know a bigger sort of house spraying gun we were winded off. We couldn't spray because the wind was too strong. So, if we'd had those two more days, we would have had it all painted and all dry brushed. Yeah, it wouldn't have looked great. It wouldn't have been up to uh, any sort of uh, award or expand of the terrain, but it would have been painted um, and it would have been functional and it would have given us a solid base on which to build for next year. Unfortunately, we lost those days. The way we spray stuff is we stack it together, spread aside, um, and for a lot of the terrain, we never got around to spraying the, the flat surfaces, so the terrain looked half-painted because only the edges were painted, um, which is in many ways worse than being unpainted entirely. Um, and again, because it, we ran out of time, packing was done inefficiently, which meant we actually had about 20 to 30% breakage in transit, which meant that we then, although we built enough terrain to do our, our three standard layouts, um, you know the heavy, light, and, and medium. Mm. Uh, by the time we got to the venue and unpacked, we only had enough to do the medium across all board. Um, yeah, I think that was one of the things that people definitely highlighted: the the promise of the the different um, layouts of terrain. And like you said, pretty much people ended up playing on the same board for five games in the end. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, but I you did provide that layout. You know for every board so it wasn't a complete it's not like people were playing on you know just fat mats with coke cans and uh, you know library books and stuff a couple of empty tissue boxes there was stuff on every board it just wasn't to the standard yeah I mean I'm not going to argue that what we gave was any better than the coke cans and um, It was it was functional. It, yeah. it enabled people to play the game, albeit not in a way that was pleasing to a large number of people. Um, but the intent was there, uh, and, and hopefully anyone that's listening to this can understand that um, the reason for doing it was, was, was largely down to, to poor execution of a good plan. I think the concept is is good, and, and we haven't had any criticisms to date about. About the you know the the ambition within the event pack, mm. um, with all our criticisms being based around the aesthetic. So next year, simple answer is we work harder, we work longer, uh, we we, you know, we refine our processes to make sure it gets done, and, and we do a, a much bigger lead in. You know? 
I feel the event overall has definitely been um, something that I, that I would like to see not only yourselves learn from, but everyone else learn from as well. Um, it's great to have aspirations and to you know have goals and shoot for for targets and uh, big targets as well. We have to we have to aim for the stars, but you very very quickly realize what you need to actually do <laughs> to to get there and it's really difficult and it's definitely not worth the time and effort that goes into it it's such a thankless job being a being an event organizer you know, a lot of people look at you like, and I heard them coming out of the venue like, oh, they must have made a killing them. You know, they're multiplying up 700 by 50 and, you know, getting you on holiday in the Bahamas, you know, on a, on a, on a cruise ship somewhere. Um, because look, all you've slapped down is a couple of bits of foam on the table. So there's no cost at all. But <clears throat> it's difficult. It is very difficult. And I think that there was a lot of failures that people were very quick to point out. Uh, as you said, there was hundreds of hundreds of people there that had a had a great weekend, uh, an enjoyable weekend. Great, a lot of the people that I were was was speaking to that were very critical of some aspects said I had five great games. You know, I, I've, I played five great people. We had five great games of Warhammer 40k or Sigma or whatever they were playing. Um, so yeah, I think it's very easy to sort of descend into this sort of online circle jerk of memeing and you know in jokes and repeating jokes that you've seen people say and what have you when you weren't there um but we have to be even-handed in our criticisms and uh, be honest with ourselves and you know give credit where it's due and be fair with the criticism i think it's admirable that you've stood up and not really tried to make any excuses for the for the failures uh try to give insight into what your attempts were and kind of what your aims were uh, and your your process. Uh, I think you definitely, even during the event, like you're learning on the flyer, the experience from the first day to the second day to the third day was noticeably better. Of course, it was, it was kind of eased by dropouts and people becoming judges and and what have you and that definitely happens at Nova and Adepticon as well because of the the bracketed format people drop like flies over there it's a big deal um but yeah I think what people need to take from this really is to just be more aware of the actual task to to upscale these events you know running a hundred man event in a gaming center that has no real setup is is pretty easy running a 500 to a thousand man event in a space that is in no way set up for gaming and you have to load everything in and out and provide infrastructure and you don't have access to the venue beforehand yeah that's that's really 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 difficult so um i I definitely appreciate your your candor on this and, and and your frank uh, conversation and correcting me as well on the prize support. I'm sure that our listeners that were in attendance and, and did walk away with uh, just a trophy will appreciate that as well. So do check your emails and look out for that email from Zach or the team. Um, but yeah, go, going forward with the London GT, um, where do you see things going? Um, where do I see things going? Uh, that's probably a... Uh... A question I could answer better in, in a couple of weeks once I've had a chance to, to mm. press a bit more. 
Um, ultimately, if people want us to run the event, we'll run the event. Um, that will that will come through in the, when we get the feedback service out and, and returned. Um, obviously, everyone's easy to criticise, particularly when when you're you know half the world away on, on social media. Um, they're never going to come anyway. So, what I care about is people that that genuinely want the event to happen and are, and are upset because it wasn't good enough. Uh, we're we're here to give them an event that is good enough. So, if they get in touch and say, look. I came last year. I'd love to come again if you fix these problems. Um, and if there's enough of them, then the LGT will continue to do its thing. Will continue to grow. Uh, it may not always be uh, the event that it started out as, um, but if, if there's if there's demand, we'll satisfy it. Um, while we're in it, we have, while I'm in the circumstances to do so. Um, now. The counterpoint to that is obviously if people don't want it to exist, if, if people are, are, are happy to say, you know what, you tried, you failed, I'll see you later, mate. Um, then, then you know, we we you know we had a good run. Uh, we've run a couple of good events and, and uh, we'll walk away. But ultimately, I believe that the community genuinely at heart wants this to be a success. Um, and they're upset because it wasn't as good as they hoped it was going to be that doesn't mean that it won't be as good as they can't imagine at the moment uh, in two to five to ten years time you would know. you run the event in that space again no okay that brings us on to the issue of what available spaces are there potentially in London which I know is a very big problem and one that you will obviously have to ruminate on over the coming months um <clears throat> looking at the future uh, and again they, you look, you're looking at, at cost against revenue looking at scales uh, of event and you know how to address with that clearly there were a lot of people in the London area and far beyond that wanted a big Warhammer gaming event in their city um, and I can't see that changing now whether enough of those people were put off by their experience that it affects the London GT brand being able to run that event uh, I I doubt that to be honest with you I, I, I think you'll definitely be back next year and you'll run an event and you'll learn from your experiences and you know give yourself more time and double down on the logistics and expand the team and you know maybe take a hit to, to get the infrastructure right and everything running smoothly I'm sure you'd I'm sure you'd take a bit of a bigger loss for the your own peace of mind you know um <clears throat> but yeah that's definitely something that's going to have to be uh, weighed up and you'll see that from the uh, from the feedback as to whether people trust your brand to provide that event to them um which I, I think you've you've been very kind of sanguine about and and fair and you know people have their right they've paid their money they have their right to to, to, to respond to that honestly and, and, and give you honest feedback and if they don't want to give you their custom then you know you don't really have any sort of right to that custom so but yeah hopefully you haven't yeah. been put off and, and, and you will come back with, with, with more you know more good ideas more aspirations and yeah yeah I mean you know, I enjoy solving tough problems it's what I like doing um, we've already got a few ideas uh, it could be exciting 
uh, been thinking a long time about trying to apply a sort of Edinburgh fringe model to to wargaming in London. So you end up with a grand weekend in which there's multiple different events happening in multiple different locations with a sort of central hub. Mm, so that's interesting. You know, maybe they, you know, you've got a 40k GT happening in this hotel, or you've got an Agent Sigma ha- uh, happening in this event hall, etc., etc. And then say your vendor hall and and your late night gaming is all in a hotel where the hotel block, so everyone stays in the same place. Mm. That's a solution. Uh, the question is, is whether that model will be appealing to people because it's obviously quite off-piece. It's not something that, that people are, uh, will be used to within more gaming. You know, it's one idea. We've got other ideas in terms of solving more more economic issues so is London GT's brand that really should be pushing us forward so we need to take a think about maybe becoming the UK GT and moving to somewhere like Birmingham or Nottingham where there's more purpose uh, built facilities for this sort of thing um, you know there are, there are many potential solutions to the problems we, we encountered this year um, the question really is, is which are the best of those and do any of them really uh like a fire in people's hearts. I think one of the things people love about the event in the last few years is that it's kind of special to have a big, big event in London because you know, the last person to do it was Games Workshop 15 years ago and that was the last one. I mean, so, speaking from a personal point, I, I do the a lot of the, the Street Fighter events in the UK and commentating them on uh, around Europe in the, the video game esports circuit. And there, again, there hasn't been... A, an official Capcom sanctioned pro tour event in London for God knows how long. I think 2010 is the last major event I can think of that really uh, did anything on a big scale. <clears throat> and people feel the same way in that, like, it feels it feels wrong that there isn't one. You know, like it feels right for there to be a big event in the capital of this country. Uh, even if Games Workshop are based in in Nottingham, Lenton, uh, and you know there is a, other events that happen, you know, in the northwest and, and 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 Wales and what have you, Bristol. That allure of the capital definitely has its own cachet and was probably responsible for a lot of uh, people travelling and flying in uh, for the event. I know you had uh, a lot of attendees from uh, North America, way more than I could expect for other events. Uh, I know you had a lot of Europeans flying in as well. It was, I mean, that was really cool to see. So, Yeah, I think you know, that one of the things that I really, really loved about this year um, was the fact that the, the 40K community generally is, is quite... Um, Sparrows. People are in their little silos in their own little local methods. You've got uh, negative views in some instances of players from different countries in terms of being behind the meta curve or ahead of it or more uh, computational. The LGT this year was really a celebration of uh, integrating the hobby where we had uh, misconceptions about players from different nations completely broken down. We had an American gent, uh, Chris um, Mike Brandt, who's an absolutely lovely guy. Uh, he won overall, right? Yeah. yeah, right. You know, he's he's won the second biggest forty k event in history, and he's he's ten thousand miles away from London. So, yeah. uh, forever put into rest the the you know the false assertion that uh, Americans can't play forty k. It's obviously false. We had uh, Jeff Robinson win the Invitational too, um, while playing in one venue against 
Swedish ETC players, Scottish ETC players, Welsh players, you know, everyone, uh, every 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 nation was represented, and, and that integration of the hobby was magical to see. Um, and I've never seen it anywhere else. So if if we can achieve that um, while solving the, the logistical problems we've had this year and, and mm-hmm. the, the comms problems we had at the event, um, then I think we've got a bright future. If we can't solve those problems, we won't be doing the event because I don't want to put on a bad show again. Um, and and that, it's as simple as that. You know, if, if we can't do it properly, we won't be doing it. Um, but if we can solve these problems, we definitely will. Fair enough, fair enough. I think that's a good uh, that's a good tone to leave it on. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, right. Appreciate your honesty, uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully the hopefully you get loads of honest feedback uh, from those people. So, how will people be able to uh, to get you that feedback? Will you be, you'll be emailing them? I'm guessing with the, the yeah, the, there'll be uh, there'll be surveys going out to each uh, group of attendees, depending on which event they attended. Mm. Uh, there's a chance if you fill, fill that in and send it back um, they either win a ticket to the event next year or win a refund if you're one of the people that doesn't want to come back mm. um, so I encourage everyone to you know fill out those surveys get them back into us we won't be offended if you <laughs> slate us but please you know yeah I mean that, that feedback's important that feedback's important because yeah. the event doesn't grow it doesn't get better and you know, like we, I think we mentioned a couple of times regarding the terrain, there's there's ways in which you can make multiple people happy. It's like having a stringent rule set that works. You know, it makes it's for everyone's benefit. You know, uh, it's good for the competitive players and it's good for the people that just want to play a game. And you know, the same way with uh, with the terrain. If you put that little extra effort, you have that extra bit of time to to get things dry brushed, based, whatever. Um, but they're also designed for for eighth you know you get that get positive feedback as well yeah exactly we're already doing that you know we're we're already speaking to three different terrain manufacturers to custom build stuff i was just using you know terrain as an example but that feedback is vital so that you can see what the market wants what the attendees want and then you can then you can start using your your brain to to come up with solutions which cover as many bases as possible and hopefully make you know, another 700 people happy next year. Yeah, exactly. So please do get your uh, surveys back when you receive them in the near future. Get your feedback in to the London GT because they they want to give you good events. Thank you very much for joining me, Zach. Really appreciate it. Where can people uh, find you uh, to send you death threats and bags of flaming <laughs> shit to your doorstep um, uh, or just leave you messages on Facebook? Yeah. No, don't. Facebook is, uh, is our primary point for announcing uh, other like general announcements but website and email is always best if you want a response um, so hit us up at info at london40kgroundtournament.co.uk okay uh, and the uh, we'll put the address of that in the uh, in the description on the podcast as well so if you didn't get that we'll put that the Facebook page uh, and the website all there for you guys to get in touch Zach thank you very much it's been a pleasure speaking to you as always sir uh, go and have a rest you've definitely deserved one uh, and yeah hopefully we'll speak to you again this time next year with uh, yeah. with glowing feedback and a wonderful yeah. time had by all fingers crossed cheers Logan. Cheers. No worries. Thanks very much. Thanks.